everyone, and welcome to episode 176 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive. And this week, like usual, I'm joined by Richard, the owner of MTG Goldfish. What's up, Richard? Hey, Seth. What's going on? Ah, uh, not much. We have a surprising amount to talk about this week. Also, Chris Van Meter, how you doing this week, Chris? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Ah, uh, glad to have you. And I'm pretty excited. We have a surprisingly full cast. So I was thinking, oh, we'll probably talk about some tournament stuff, some Magic Arena. Then just this morning, out of the blue, we got a ton of Magic 2019 spoilers. Even though the set doesn't come out for, I think, a month roughly until pre-release. So we're going to talk M19 spoilers. We're going to talk about some interesting tournaments that happened over the weekend at SCG Con, including some pauper action, no Bandless Modern, a little bit of Magic Arena now that they've had a new update and changed a bunch of stuff. And then, of course, we will wrap up with Fish Mail. So let's start with the most exciting part, M19 spoilers. Uh, have you all seen the spoilers? This is all happening in like the last hour and a half or so. Have you got a chance to check them out yet? Maybe. <laughs> I've seen some spoilers, whether it's all of them or not, because you guys keep springing new spoilers on me, so... <laughs> Uh, I yeah, they, the Wizards released an article, uh, the promos and packaging of Magic 2019. So they they listed the promos. So you know your typical buy box promos, F and M promos, and then they decided, hey, we'll just throw in all these random commons and uncommons from the welcome deck, which is I don't know, maybe like 30, 40 cards worth. And then they're saying, ah, oh, here's some random rares for you as well, and they threw in those, and then on Reddit. There are other cards popping up from sources unknown, so we have a lot of spoilers, more than one day's worth of spoilers to look at, which is uh, unexpected to say because Core 19 is still about a month out. It's, it's middle of July that it releases. Yeah, I was surprised too. What about you, Chris? Did you get a chance to uh, check them out? I did. Uh, I've been looking at all the spoilers. Uh, some pretty exciting stuff. I think it's interesting to note that uh, Lanoir Elves is in the welcome deck, so we've gone from too powerful for standard to let's inject it into our new players so they know what's up right <laughs> off the bat, um, which is fine with me. There are a couple cards that I think are really, really cool. One in particular is one of the, the promos, the standard showdown promos um, for uh, Re Elvish Rejuvenator. So it's two in the green for a 1-1 Elf Druid. When it enters the battlefield, look at the top five cards of your library. You can put a land card from among them onto the battlefield tapped and then put the rest on the bottom in a random order. I think this card is really, really cool. It does a lot of cool things. And we haven't had something like this that like fetches a land and puts it onto the battlefield from a creature in quite some time. Also, important to note with that, it's it's a land, so it's not even a basic land, which has a lot of sweet implications, like getting dual lands, utility lands, so it seems like it's actually a pretty powerful card. I don't know about older formats, I don't know if Wood Elves is good enough anymore, but it's definitely interesting that you can use it to like assemble Tron or something if you're really, uh, really trying to. Yeah, you can try to Green Sun Zenith this you know to randomly get a land although you just might get the feel bads and look at the top five cards and find nothing and then shamefully uh put it back down so it's, it's actually interesting and it's coming in a core set which is uh surprisingly a lot of upside for uh this is uh, i guess the rarity isn't known since it's just a promo card uh, well, it, it looks like it has the common rarity on it, so uh, the other promos oh, have you're right. different, yeah, different so it's rarities. Just, just as common. Yeah. Yeah, so like Scry is evergreen, so if you know somehow the, the temples end up being in the set, that could be cool. Uh, it's a way to find Salfron Void and get some value. Um, you know, any lands that have entered the battlefield triggers are cool. Finding Tron could be really cool. I just think cards like this are very solid, and uh, I, I really like when they print them, but it is an X one, so Chain Whirler food. <laughs> yeah, uh, every everything dies to Chain Whirler these days. It should be pretty hard to whiff, though. Like, it'll happen sometimes. I know, I've played 
way more than my share of Seder Wayfinders, which only goes four cards deep, but you do occasionally whiff with these effects. But going five card deep in your typical deck, like the odds are pretty heavily in favor of you getting a land. Of course, you can't get the land you want every time, but still, like, you should be able to play this pretty consistently as a ramp spell. I wouldn't be too worried about, like, playing this on turn three and just not finding any lands. That's going to happen a really small percentage of the time. All right. So other cards. So buy a box promo. Yeah, I, I was going to point this out. This is. I think that our worst fears are going to be happening with this card. What are our worst fears? So let's talk about the card though. Nexus of Fate, five blue blue. Take an extra turn after this instant. Uh, if Nexus of Fate would be put in a graveyard, anywhere, reveal Nexus of Fate, shuffle it, and put it in its owner's library instead. And this card. This card's good. So. Any any type of time lock card you have to be very careful for, because if they end up being like busted in standard, then they'll end up being busted in standard, and it becomes popular. This is going to be a slam dunk uh, in all of your brawl decks that want to play blue. It's going to be a slam dunk in commander. Like this is very similar to Beacon of Tomorrow's, um, and it's an instant. So like you can cast this with uh, Torrential Gear Hulk with the trigger on the stack or some other way to recast instants from your graveyards. Uh, like, this is the type of card that I wanted them to not make as a, one of these buy a box, like, unique promos, because if this card catches on, like, let's say Ali Entrazi or Saffron Olive makes a standard deck that uses this and it's popular, it's instantly going to be $30 and very hard to, to get your hands on them. Yeah, this this is way more dangerous than Fire Song and Sunspeaker. I really like Fire Song and Sunspeaker. I think it's a really cool card. But as far as maybe having actual ramifications in standard and being super sweet in commander, like because you get an extra turn after this one, you kind of like insert yourself into the turn cycle, right? Like you would you would get to or how how does that work? Maybe I'm maybe I'm misunderstanding that. Like if it's uh, the person to your left's turn, and you cast this, after their turn, does it go to your turn? Yeah, I think you just get a random turn in the middle of the turn order, right? And then it goes back to the person on your left again, or it skips them? and, and I, I, I think it just inserts the turn. So you go before whoever else is going to go, then afterwards they go. Like that, that would make the most sense. I have no idea how this actually works. But actuality. I mean that... That's a lot of upside in Commander. That doesn't even include, like you mentioned, Torrential Gear Hulk. Even just, like, a turns deck being able to cancel it at instant speed, leaving up counter spells and stuff in Standard. Like, 7 mana is a lot, but it's not insane, especially with Hour and Promises and stuff. Like, being able to leave up instant speed interaction and then cast this and take two turns in a row if you don't need to counter something or whatever. There's so many things this card does. So, I'm not saying it's busted or the best card in the set or anything like that, but it is a little too close for comfort for me as far as being actually playable. So one of the things that's interesting about the blue-white control deck in Standard is that, like, because of Commit to Memory, it's able to, like, kind of play without an actual win condition and then just, like, win off of, like, one Gideon or, you know, just some way to try and deck your opponent. And this does exactly that. Like, when you cast this, it just shuffles back into your deck. So, like... Uh, and the Teferi deck wants to play at instant speed. It's very mana efficient. Like I, this is the this is the exact kind of card I wanted them to not make one of these promos as. And not only that, but it it takes advantage of Teferi's mana. Like since you can cast it as an instant, the untapping of two lands suddenly is relevant for casting this when most extra turn spells are sorceries. So, oh man, I don't know. So, what's your price prediction? Like, how expensive will this card be? I think it's going to start at $30. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, Firesong and Sunspeaker, I, I should double check it. Last time I looked, I think it was the most expensive rare in Dominaria. And I wouldn't be surprised if this was the most expensive mythic or near the most expensive mythic. Like, at least, like, top three from the core set. That uh, sounds scary. <laughs> that sounds scary. Uh, I, I don't know... If I share the same enthusiasm for standard as you guys, but we we've we've done research on this before, Seth, and there is a price floor for all taking extra turn cards. Uh, Commander players love these cards, so I this I think fits exactly Fire Song. Like Commander players will love this card. People will try it in standard, and if it ever takes off, it's gonna be ridiculous. So uh, here's hoping 
that <laughs> it doesn't take off in standard and commander players can actually play this card. I, I don't know. Well, the the problem that I have with it is that, like, I think it's the step above where Firesong and Sunseeker is as far as a commander card. Firesong and Sunseeker are really cool, and it's like a card that you want to build your deck around. Like, this isn't a card you build your deck around. This is just a card that you put in every single blue commander deck that you have, right? Yep. Yeah, and that makes sense. It, it, I think it's just way too ubiquitous, and like, you're just. This is the kind of card where like you're going to feel bad when your opponents have it when you don't when you're playing a blue commander deck because they were able to get one and you weren't able to get one. Yeah, it's. I think it's very good, and I'm. I'm a little worried. Maybe they'll change course at some point as far as like releasing these cards only as buy box promos, although they did just published that article a few weeks ago saying they were doing it for the foreseeable future like the article they published today said like we're not here to talk about the community's response to these promos but check out our twitch stream and there'll be some discussion about it so i don't know if that means there maybe something will change or if they're just gonna reiterate what they were already saying so uh, i don't know i don't know i'm a little nervous yeah, my, my my qualm with the card isn't its power level, right? Like, I don't think it's too good for standard. I don't think it's too good for commander. But I think that it's just good enough to be desirable. And the whole gatekeeping aspect of only having one way to get it, requiring you you know spend $100 on a box to, and then physically get it from the store, and there's a limited amount that are sent out, that's what really, really chaps me for it. Because I think that's going to create a lot of feel-bad moments for people that want this card. Yeah, but it's precisely what Wizards wants, right? I mean, I don't think they make promos with the intent of having them suck and no one wanting them. So here's a promo that's going to be good, and people will buy boxes for them. So that's, the thi- like, that's exactly according to Wizards' plan, right? They got to make them good enough that people want them, but if they make them too good, they have an entirely different problem on their hands. Like, that was, that's always been my argument against printing these cards period is like it's just such a fine line to walk because wizard's incentive like is to print the a very strong card that's going to make people buy tons of boxes to gain access to it but then that creates a problem that not everyone can get the card because it's like extremely limited in supply game stores get like i forget the exact numbers 30 to 60 copies maybe depending on their store level but it's not a large amount that you're talking about in the grand scheme of magic cards it's like a ultra myth or an expedition or something except there's no it's not a reprint there's no other way to get the card so I don't know I still don't like it and I feel like this is a card that like when we talked about it with Firesong and Sunspeaker a lot of people were like oh you're you're just going too far wizards will intentionally make these not good enough that it's never a problem and I feel like this is a card that's another step in in the direction of at least living dangerously and eventually having problems with these type of promos all right let's move on to uh, another promo it's the draft weekend promo we have desecrated tomb three mana artifact when one or more creature cards leave your graveyard create a one one black bat creature token with flying i don't know about this card i almost feel like this is like a a plant for an upcoming mechanic i don't know like what do you do with it right now in standard i guess you can like keep casting squee or something over and over again but it seems like it could be cool if uh, delve or unearth or some mechanic like that was in standard but i'm not 100 percent sure what you do with this card in standard right now yeah the wording kind of kills it because uh if all let's say your entire graveyard full of creatures gets removed you only get one bat Instead of, you know, one per creature. If it was one per creature, then this card has potential for all kinds of shenanigans. But as is, you gotta play some kind of weird value game of recurring your graveyard for these triggers. And it seems like a lot of work for 1-1 one, one bat tokens. Yeah, I mean, there's like, it works with Eternalize and Embalm because the cards get exiled from your graveyard. That's true. So it's, like, so it's just like adding a little bit of value onto that. And if there's ever, you know, a card that like has some cost in your graveyard that you can return back to your hand, um, that you can discard over and over and do it, and then you get can get a little bit of value for that. But this feels like a card that like should have been in the new Innistrad block and not just in in the core set. 
it's kind of funny with original Squee, like if you can just keep discarding it. But the problem is the payoff is a 1-1. So I can't imagine that that's worth the effort in a format like Modern, just to make a 1-1 every turn for essentially free if you can keep discarding Squee and getting it back to your hand over and over again. So I yeah, it would definitely be much more exciting if it was one for each creature. But then that might be even dangerous or at least very powerful in certain decks if you could just delve away four creatures and make four one ones when you cast like tassiger or something that would be a pretty good card yeah yeah my gut tells me that because they made this card a rare that there is like some common or uncommon cards in the limited format that you would be able to abuse this card with so they wanted to to limit the amount of times you would have that interaction so I feel like we kind of have to wait and see. Resembling plus skeleton. A, plus they made it a promo. <laughs> That's true. That that usually means that they think it's going to be at least decent. They like We were talking about earlier, they want to have good cards as promos typically. So, hmm. I guess we'll see. Maybe Dredge is coming back. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> no. No. All right. Next, we got Demon of Catastrophes. Two black black. It's a creature demon. Six, six. As an additional cost to cast this spell, sacrifice a creature. Flying trample. It's big. It's this really is big. Very big. Absurd, isn't it? Isn't this the best four mana 6-6 six, six we've had? No, I think this card is like significantly worse than Desecration, Desecration Demon. Demon. Like, I can see it being pretty good. Like, I could imagine mono black aggro in standard, which isn't much of a thing because it dies to Chain Whirler, but if you're like sacking Scrap Heap to this and then you can get back the Scrap Heap, I could imagine that being a pretty scary curve. Like, one drop, two drop, three drop, sack your Scrap Heap to Demon, have this massive beater. I don't know, though. I I have a hard time imagining this is going to be super good, especially since it still dies to, like, Revolted Fatal Push, it dies to Unlicensed Disintegration, it doesn't really do anything right away, so you're naturally, like, two-for-one-ing yourself if you have to sack a creature to cast it, and it's really risky off the top. Like, imagine playing... I don't know, mono-black control against blue-white control, and they fumigate you or something, and then you draw this, and you're like, oh my god, I can't even I can't even cast my finisher. So, this card certainly has some drawbacks, but there are a few throwaway black creatures that you can play with this. Scrap Heap Scrounger is one, Dusk Legion Zealot is another that comes to mind, but this card also works extremely well with Liliana Death's Majesty. It on- you only have to sacrifice when you cast it, so if you re- just put it into play from your graveyard with Liliana, you don't have to sacrifice anything. Liliana's plus one is going to create a zombie that you can use to sacrifice to cast this. And while it does die to unlicensed um, disintegration or a, a revolted fatal push, like if they don't have an answer right away for it, a 6-6 Trample is a lot of pressure when you can put it out there on turn four. Yeah, I I like it as you curve out. Off the top, Seth is right, this is kind of bad if you have nothing, but as you curve out, people played Desecration Demon in the face of Lingering Souls before, (laughs) meaning you could lock that down for four turns if you felt like it. And I I think if you just have some random creatures around, like Scrap Heap Scrounger, uh, the drawback here is not too bad, and 6-6 Flying Trample demands an answer immediately especially off of only four mana. So if they don't have anything, uh, they're pretty much dead. And, you know, this this is pretty big. Like, if there's a big scary dragon, if there's a phoenix, uh, you can block all day. So this, is, this actually lines up pretty well with uh, flying threats that people normally play. Another issue with a card for the immediate future, and I run into this all the time with black decks, is you already have Gonti and Ravenous Chupacabra, which are both really good. So I think that some decks will probably stick with that. I think, like, maybe if you're being aggressive and have those disposable creatures, this would be in the conversation. But if you're playing a more controlling deck, I think that maybe just, like, Gonti or even Chupacabra might just be better. Yeah, I I certainly see this card potentially see in play when rotation happens. Like some of the cards that I have my eye on are like Dreadshade, Cabal Stronghold, those types of things. So I think that this could potentially just be a role player in a mono black deck once uh, Kaladesh and Amonkhet block leave. Alright, uh, last spoilers, we have two more rares, so we might round out with them. First up we have Patient Rebuilding, 3 Blue Blue Enchantment, at the beginning of your upkeep, target opponent puts the top three cards of their library into their graveyard. Then you draw a card for each land card put into that graveyard this way. 
it seems oh like boy. a fun, like, casual mill card. I guess it's an enchantment that's probably drawing you one and a half cards a turn or something, which isn't bad, but... I don't know. I mean, I guess as a finisher all by itself, like if you just play this and counter everything and kill everything, you will you will win the game eventually, <laughs> drown yard style. People love the mill cards. So like this is the type of card that like is going to be very good in limited. Uh, it's a card advantage engine and a win condition in limited. Like it could potentially see fr- fringe play in some standard deck if there's a mill deck that ever comes out. I mean, we saw Sphinx's tutelage take down a Grand Prix in the hands of Michael Majors uh, in the past. Uh, but this is also just the kind of card that a newer player is going to open. They're going to read it. It's easy to grok. They like newer players tend to like alternate al- alternate ways of winning because it helps them feel clever. And this is a card that most newer players are going to open and be happy about and try and put in their deck. Uh, it's too weird for me. I don't. I don't understand it. <laughs> Next card is a card up my alley. Gigantosaurus. Yes, Gigantosaurus. It's five green symbols. So green, 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 green. It's a ten, ten dinosaur. That's it. <laughs> That's all it is. It's a five mana ten, ten. It seems like. So it makes me want to have Nykthos come back. It seems like it would be super sweet in a green devotion deck. Uh, in standard, it is a pretty guaranteed way to play Galta. I'm a little <laughs> sad that it doesn't trample or anything, but I imagine that in standard, people will just try to live the dream and like cast this and know you automatically have two mana Galta. So it eats Yargles. Well, doesn't doesn't Ronus's monument give the creature trample, and doesn't Ronus's activated ability give the creature trample? Ah, uh, that's yes. that is a good point. So. Here's a question for you, Chris. How does this compare with Verderous Gearhulk? Like, would you play this over Verderous Gearhulk if you were playing a mono green deck with those cards? Absolutely not. <laughs> but after that's, rotation, that's, maybe. Yeah. Like, if there's some type of devotion, because we do have like Llanowar Elves and Steely Champion, so we have a lot of green pips. So if there ends up being some type of devotiony thing, either now or uh, I. I don't know if this set will rotate before we're done with the Ravnica Saga, but maybe the the block after, or the sets after that, maybe it could end up being cool. Uh, but this definitely will be relegated to a bulk status in the meantime. And it most definitely does not die to Goblin Chain Whirler. <laughs> we found, one. Uh, we found well, one card. If there's a Soul Scar Mage and they bounce <laughs> Chain Whirler nine times. Four Panharmonicons. <laughs> they can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Although this this will trade with the uh, the ten eight legendary worm from Battle Bond and draw you ten cards in the process, so there's always that. <laughs> All right, uh, last card we're gonna talk about is a card we don't even know where it came from. It looks real. <laughs> so Vivian Reed, Planeswalker, three green green, five starting loyalty, legendary Planeswalker Vivian. Plus one, look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal a creature or land from among them and put it in your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Minus three, destroy target artifact, enchantment, or creature with flying. Minus eight, get an emblem with creatures you control. Have plus two, plus two, vigilance, trample, and indestructible. My initial take on this was asking if it was one of the Planeswalker deck Planeswalkers. (laughs) Apparently, uh, it is not, is what we're hearing. So I think I like that we're seeing a green Planeswalker that is not Nyssa or Garrick. It's kind of cool to see a new character, but the card itself, it seems worse than most of like the Nyssas and Garricks and stuff that we've had. I guess the plus one is fine-ish, but it actually is pretty bad at protecting itself, so you gotta have creatures down, and uh, I don't know. I don't really see this card as standard playable. So, uh, the first impression I have is, yes, the ultimate is going to win you the game. So it strikes me similar to, like, Elspeth's Sun's Champion ultimate, uh, but with with those cards, like, the rest of the card has to be worth the five mana that you're paying for it, and I don't think that the plus one is good enough, Going to six loyalty probably seems fine, but like, why would you ever play this in your deck when you could play Karn or Vraska? 
Like Raska seems very similar to this card, but way better. Karn also seems similar to this card, but way better. Um, like it, it, it does not feel like you're getting enough for five mana. I will say, I think there's maybe right now before Kaladash uh, dash block rotates, there is some upside to the negative three. Like being having something that like kind of draws your cards with the plus one and can blow up a heart of Kirin or Ether's Fear Harvester or whatever, even like search for his Kanta. There's a lot of good artifact and enchantment targets right now that see play across a pretty wide range of decks. So that is kind of an upside. I think like, uh, I don't know. I guess maybe I was underrating that ability. I still don't think it's great, but I do kind of like the wide variety of things you can kill with the negative three. Yeah, and creatures with flying. You can hit a Lyra. You can hit a Shalai. <laughs> you um, can hit a Rekindling Phoenix, and it comes back and kills your Vivian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there is a lot of white-based enchantment removal right now, too. And you're seeing a lot of, like, the flip enchantments. And I think that even post-rotation, cards like... Search for his Kanta and Argul's Bloodfast are going to continue to be extremely popular tools. So just like having a way to interact with that and still keep things around. That being said, I would trade this for something like Reclamation Sage in a heartbeat. So does that uh, bring us to the end of our M19 spoilers? Uh, yeah, there, there's a ton more spoilers. You can check them on the site. <laughs> we can't cover them all, but Shivan Dragon is back. Surprise. <laughs> Murder. We have uh, Reliquary Tower as a reprint. There are a ton of cards, so check out the full spoilers because we don't have time to talk about every single one right now. So before we move on to uh, some tournament stuff, really quick, like two-sentence answer, uh, seeing these leaks more or less hyped for M19? Richard? More? All right. That was one. That was two sentences. <laughs> would, would you like yeah. me to elaborate? No, no that's, that's it. No, done. that's fine. That's done. <laughs> Chris, how about you? More or less hyped? I'm more hyped. I, I like seeing new cards, whether... I think they're good or not. I'm just excited to seeing new cards. Yeah, I think I I am too. I've been hyped for the core set, but we're seeing some good reprints. We're seeing some sweet new cards. So I will look forward to the rest of the cards uh, as spoiler season progresses. So now that we have spoilers out of the way, we had a really unique tournament or I guess like group of tournaments this weekend. There was SCG Con and they had the SCG Invitational with Standard and Modern. They had a whole bunch of stuff, but we wanted to focus on a couple of the more unique formats that don't see play, at least in paper all the time. So two of the most interesting tournaments to me from the weekend were Pauper, the first ever Pauper Classic event held by Star City Games, and also No Banless Modern, which is maybe the first ever tournament for that, or at least the first big tournament of that. So uh, did either of you get to catch any of the action from SCG Con, and uh, what did you think of these events, Pauper and No Banless Modern? Uh, I did not see any of these events. I see the results, which have questions raised in my head. So, But I'll let you guys go first to uh, describe what happened before I ask my question. Yeah, so the I, I watched a bit of both. Um, not surprised with how the Popper tournament turned out. Um, as Kendra, who won, is a very diligent Popper streamer and plays a lot of Popper. And she has been working on her Elf deck for quite some time. The no ban list modern, though, I am a little surprised about it, and I'll be curious to see if it helps make a case for any potential unbannings in the format. Uh, because, like, yes, in that field where everything's legal, you can't get like a hundred percent of an idea of how something would do in the current modern format. But like, cards like Stoneforge Mystic and whatnot just did not look or feel very good, and. Obviously, Ayavugan is the most busted card um, on the current modern ban list, as we can see from all the colorless Eldrazi decks. Yeah. So, yeah. was that representative of the tournament? Because looking at uh, you know the colorless Eldrazi is basically everywhere, and what we have is essentially our pre Ayavugan banning Eldrazi list with basically like two GTAs thrown in, and that is not the deck I would have thought of when you said, "Hey." 
everything on the ban list is coming off. You can do whatever you want. And we basically just played an actual deck from, you know, a year or two ago with some GTAs <sighs> thrown in for good measure. Man, do you remember how busted that format was? Like, right after the Pro yeah, Tour? Was, oh, my yeah. goodness. That was probably the single worst time in Modern's history, I think, as far as, like, format health and how much fun the format was. Although, uh, I did enjoy playing Free Went Red. In Snaring Bridge and Blood Moon, so good against that deck. Um, I think that... I think that the tournament definitely suggested to me a couple of things. Like, Eldrazi, that deck was busted. Uh, I'm so glad that they banned Ayavugan, and I still think they could have banned Eldrazi Temple, too. Like, that card is still pretty busted. Um, I do think that Stoneforge Mystic is probably safe for unbanning. One of the things that really stuck out to me, well, the two biggest things, were Skull Clamp wasn't a big part of this. Like, I know uh, Randy Bueller did this Gauntlet of Greatness or something of No Banless Modern a while ago, and that tournament that he did or that content that he did it seemed like skull clamp decks were the way to go like elves with skull clamp i think actually ended up winning it in the end and skull clamp decks death and taxes with skull clamps were just like the biggest thing when he was doing that so i was surprised by that also stoneforge like just unban it like there's so many (laughs) there's so many things that are crazy and powerful and modern stoneforge is not scary also the other thing no hypergenesis that was the other card that i would have pick to be near the top of the busted list as far as someone just breaking the format and i don't see a single hypergenesis list in this top 25 so that's because they all played against the eldrazi decks they just got chaliced into oblivion (laughs) that's probably true as far as eldrazi like i think part of it is people have those cards it's really hard to go out and buy a thousand dollar fifteen hundred dollar eighteen hundred dollar deck just to play in the one no banless modern tournament that has ever been held <laughs> because that's just sure. not a great investment but if you've been playing standard slash modern slash legacy you probably already have those cards and maybe you were even playing that deck a couple years ago and you just like stuck all your Eldrazi away and you're like oh this is an easy way for me to go play this tournament yeah I mean some of the other interesting things were like how popular and how well the black green dark depths deck did so like getting access to chrome mocks uh, the card Dark Depths obviously is very very good um, BBD's Miracles deck was kind of cool um, one thing that's super interesting to point out is Jesse Hefner got 14th with Jund and he just literally put in 4 Deathrite Shaman and 1 Jite <laughs> and like every other card in this deck is currently modern legal so it's just like I want to play in this deck what, in this tournament what can I do oh man I can put De- Death Rites in my deck I guess, I guess I can throw in a GTA. Let's see what happens. And then just top six. <laughs> that, 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 that's, that's my hero right there. <laughs> you know, further down, we have a punishing Jun list. They're expecting little creatures. But, you know, Jesse's just like, four death rights. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, just just run it. Yeah, I mean, man, there's so much Eldrazi. Because the, the starts are so explosive, right? Like, yes, Skull Clamp is insane and, like, can help you combo with elves and things like that. I am a little surprised there was no combo elves, um, but like, Chalice on one is pretty good against the elf the elf combo deck, and the Eldrazi deck is just so fast. Yeah, that deck, that deck is busted. I forgot how, how busted that was. There was also a Death Shadow list that made it. I think uh, it was on 25th place, so at the bottom of the list, but uh, I guess it looked a lot like the current ones, except you get some busted spells. I think another takeaway was... <laughs> treasure Cruise. Only Treasure yeah, Cruise. Yeah, tr- Treasure Cruise, <laughs> Ponder Preordain. There, there were a lot of mental missteps. I think. Do you think that this tournament makes an argument for unbanning any of the cantrips? I would have I would have thought, oh, Storm is going to be super good. Like, you give Storm, Ponder, and Preordain, and Gitaxian Probe instead of Serum Visions and Sleight of Hand and Opt. Like, that's got to make the deck way, way better. But apart from the Miracles deck and one Storm deck sneaking in, we didn't really see the blue cards make an impact at all. Uh, I think Chalice on one answers most of this. <laughs> I, I think that shows how strong throwing down an early Chalice is if... Mental misstep could counter something with CMC two. <laughs> you might uh, get somewhere, but I think just the fast mana from Eldrazi is really throwing kinks into things. And if you remove the Eldrazi, you know, let's say it's no banless modern except Eye of Ugin is banned. What happens? I think that would be a very different tournament than what we saw here. That's yeah, like the the problem you run into not only with Chalice 
being pretty insane against the cards that are banned, but also like the speed with which Dot Not Seer in combination with Chalice can just disrupt the opponent and then you finish the game. Like you get even if you get to cast one or two ponders, you're just actually dead on like turn three. So uh yeah, I mean Keller Cell Drowsy is just too good, I think. As far as a uh, popper, I think I was pleasantly surprised that there were only four Delver decks in the top 16, which, I mean, still makes it, I believe, the most prevalent deck in the top 16, but in my experiences on Magic Online, it seems like you play against Delver decks all the time, and I thought they were clearly the best deck in the format, so I was pretty happy to see a pretty good variety of decks posting good finishes at Popper, and it wasn't just overwhelmingly uh, Delvers in the top 16. So I feel like the big disparity of Delver decks online as opposed to what you see in paper um, has to do with the medium of playing online. Like, most of the non-Delver popper decks are pretty grindy decks and take a while to win, and that's something that you have to take under heavy consideration when you're playing your deck online. Whereas in paper, like, you can play this Monarch deck or the Tortured Existence deck and be able to quickly go through things by having good manual dexterity and kind of control the pace of the game, whereas it's way more difficult to do that online unless you're heavily practiced at it. Uh, so let's move on. Anything else on the tournament scene before we uh, move on and hit Magic Arena quickly on our way to Fishmail? Uh, the format is surprisingly accessible. So, like, after I saw this... I went and did some pricing uh, for some of the lists, and like you can get most of these decks for under a hundred dollars or around a hundred dollars. And even like the white red monarch deck that Zane Sweetman top aided with, it's like sixty bucks. Yeah. And these are decks that like top aided a big tournament, getting hundreds of dollars worth of store credit. So it's it's very accessible. And that's after we've seen some meaningful price increases since Popper has started to become more of a thing in the paper world. So you can still get a pretty good discount on a Popper deck. And it'll be interesting to see, like, if this is the first step towards more Popper tournaments. Like, is Popper going to take the next step and legitimize itself in paper? Or is it going to be kind of the frontier thing or tiny leaders thing where you have that six months or a year where people are hyped and then it kind of like fizzles away a little bit so there's another big popper tournament at grand prix vegas that's true popper championship i think they're calling it so that should be interesting as well all right so magic arena on our way into fish mail we got the update we have best of three tournaments we have sideboarding we have a, a new timer system that's supposed to enable combo decks uh, I might be forgetting some things. I think those are the big ones. So uh, have you guys been playing any arena since the update went into effect? Yeah, I played a quick play tournament. So the old quick constructed. And then I played the new best of three constructed uh, with the sideboard. So I got to try that out. And what did you think? Like, oh, uh, how do you like the best of three compared to the best of one? I actually don't like it. Uh, so first, I got a big slap in the face as I had to mulligan into Oblivion so many times. I forgot <laughs> how good it felt not to mulligan. So once we went best of... So if you don't know, in best of one, they draw you two hands and give you a hand that is supposed to represent your ratio of lands. And how that works out in reality is you don't mulligan that often. I mulligan maybe, you know, one in ten games or something. It's very little. When you go back to regular Magic, there's just so much mulliganing, which I forgot about because I've been playing Arena exclusively for the past month or two. So I actually didn't like that at all. I, I felt like a lot of games were decided by the mulligan, whereas in best of one, yeah, sometimes your hand sucks, but at least you get to play and even though it works out to be the same, you don't feel as bad. So I actually really like the best of one format. And secondly, the rewards don't scale. So the best of three events they cost twice as much uh they pay out twice as much in terms of gold but they only guarantee three rares when you go uh 5-0 or 5-5x whereas the quick constructed you go 7x uh you get at least two rares usually three rares uh but you've played twice as many games uh for the best of threes so you, the rewards aren't proportionate so I think it's actually better to just grind out quick constructed best of ones and uh, it's just much faster that way as well. 
So that's the three hasn't really hooked me, you know, playing quote unquote real magic actually felt kind of worse. <laughs> so I, I actually kind of like this best of one format. And given how the rewards are structured, that's how I'm going to keep playing. And the uh, decks didn't seem to change that much between, and my deck doesn't change much after sideboards. So I'm fine with best of ones. <laughs> is, is there much downside to implementing the same type of like hand generation system to a best of three as they have in best of one? I, I, I think... For a pure digital experience, that's what should happen, but people want it to reflect real paper magic. So eventually... Then play, then play real paper magic, right? I think the problem is they're like... They, that's how pros it, practice. Uh, it all comes <laughs> down to what Wizards' goal is. Like, if they want this to be magic duels, where it's just like, all oh, this fun, fast experience online, then I think they should do it. But they've been talking about like, oh, we're going to run PTQs. Maybe someday we'll be able to run GPs on Magic Arena. And if they're going to try to turn it into like the new Magic Online with these high-end tournaments, then I think you got to have it reflect paper magic. Well, so like the whole that's how pros practice thing is, that that's more of an argument to have it be the other system, right? Like, from experience practicing for a large tournament, like, I'm not interested in what, you know, the 10 to 15% is on either side of the bell curve, what happens when me or my opponent is mulliganing to, like, you know, four or five or whatever. Um, I'm more interested in what normally is going to happen and how I can play properly in those instances to actually win the game. So, like... I, I can see the argument for wanting it to mirror paper magic if you're having like prizes that you can get through this client that you can also get through paper magic because that only makes it fair. But if they don't have that, then like having it be a digital experience, I think it's better not only from the player's perspective, but also from like using it as a tool for test for the Pro Tour perspective. I'm also really curious what happens when people who start Magic on Magic Arena pick up Paper Magic, and they're like, oh my, the shuffler's broken. What's the matter with this paper game? Like, I, I keep mulliganing. <laughs> I don't have any lands. <laughs> yeah, people already complain about that, right? With Magic Online, even Arena, they're like, oh, the shuffler's broken because, you know, they don't shuffle as well in real life, and, you know, their their lands clump or whatever. So the it was quite jarring for me. Like, I, I played Magic for a long time, and I'm used to, you know the randomness of your hands and I'm, I bargain pretty aggressively too and after playing arena for like six weeks or two months or whatever it's been and not really playing magic online the mulliganing like really hit me i did not expect to to see that and i play a lot of more elf deck like one land a lot of more elf i'll keep <laughs> so i'm not even that picky so it was actually quite jarring so i i think chris is right maybe we should bring this to best of three and maybe wizards should just draw that separation because from a new player perspective, when you play Hearthstone, you don't really get mana screwed, and right. And most people, even though they recognize mana screw as a part of the game, they don't like it. So I think smoothing out your mana in a reasonable way without, you know, changing the game altogether, because you could make your lands a different deck or something and draw one every turn and basically be Hearthstone. But this keeps the spirit of Magic and deck building and stuff while also easing mulligans, because. They've done it before, you know, we had the Vancouver Mulligan introduced a couple of years back, trying to get Mulligans to feel, you know, less bad, and I think the best of one arena uh, implementation is actually very good. Uh, so, moving on from that with arena, a couple of things I want to mention. I forgot, they announced that the competitive drafts are 10, well, 1,500 gems, which is roughly $10, which is insanely expensive, I think, for being Magic Arena. I thought they were going to clearly be cheaper than Magic Online, and $10 is is rough, basically the same, even in an absolute sense, not even the weird, like, oh, you can sell your cards on Magic Online sense. Like, that's what it costs to do a Phantom Draft on Magic Online, so it's just literally the same price. The other thing is, they tried to fix the clock so you could combo. I tried to play new perspectives. You still can't combo. So uh, if, <laughs> if Wizards is listening, I hope they go to the chess clock. I really think, whatever you think of Magic Online, the chess clock system, I feel like it works really well. And I would like to see that come to Magic Arena because it's pretty disappointing to have decks like new perspectives. Uh, I imagine some of the older format combo decks would also run into this same problem where you just literally can't go through your combo before it times you out and then it just automatically passes your turn and automatically discards 
cards to hand size if you're playing new perspectives and oh, have wow. a bunch of cards it, it doesn't even let you clean up correctly no it just <laughs> is like okay here you have seven cards at random left in your hand it's your opponent's turn now <laughs> yeah one one thing i noticed though so they gave us um all of the kaladesh cards and ether revolt cards so you pretty much have a, a pretty decent collection from that block but the quick drafts this weekend were kaladesh ether revolt and i could not play them there was no reason to drop all your gems or gold to play these because you already own most of the cards and it's just not worth it. It's just so expensive because there is no phantom draft. You're going to open these cards which you don't want anyway and that's going to be a problem uh, for every set as we get deeper into each set. When you have enough Dominaria cards, you don't want to draft Dominaria because most of the cards you open are useless to you. So the fact that we don't have phantom drafts I think will... Uh, you know, rear its head later in the development of each block, and we're seeing it with Kaladesh since they kind of just gave us all the Kaladesh cards. Well, let's uh, move on to some fish mail, I think, while we still have a few minutes left. All right. Uh, if you have your questions, send them to at MTGGoldfish with the hashtag MTGFishMail, and we'll get to your questions on air. So, first question AntCook91 Do you think that people might start running? Tonkatli Honor Guard to try to combat Chain Roller. Uh, what is what does the Honor Guard do? Honor Guard is uh, a torpor, torpor orb on a one-three body. Uh, the problem with Honor Guard is it's just not a a very powerful creature. Uh, so I don't know if it's worth playing a one. Th- I mean, I guess it's a good blocker against like Bomat Courier, kind of. I I don't think you want to fight that aspect of Goblin Chain Whirler. I guess maybe if you're playing tokens or some deck uh, that just gets wrecked by it, you could sideboard it. But I think what we saw in the tournaments this weekend is the way people are dealing with Chain Whirler is just playing control decks that, like, when you do one damage to me, I don't care. Like, <laughs> whatever. I'll just play Blue Black Scare of God or Blue White Control. Yeah, I mean, as a 1-3, I don't think it's good enough. I could potentially see like a banalish martial style deck could probably use it or if there's any like type of synergies with his creature types but i don't think that chain whirler is like enough to make me want to play a 1-3 that does nothing against the control decks all right next question tidal wave 87 i know seth has a po box for signing cards but is there any way to get something signed by richard or any other goldfish team members uh we'll put up a page so you can send cards to me as well so we'll put up a page with all of our addresses and contact information so i'll put that up and then uh reply to the tweet uh lock boil with chain whirler ruling standard good powerful cards like dark confidant baleful strix and noble hierarch find a place in a standard set or would they be too dominant Uh, oh boy I could see an. I actually think that Baleful Strikes would be okay in standard. Like I think that I think that that card is. It's very strong, but I think it's relatively okay for standard. I don't know Towers about Dark card. Confidant or or definitely not Noble High Arc. Like we just got Llanowar Elves back. I don't think I don't think they're gonna give us Noble High Arc. I think it's arguable that Noble High Arc should have just never been printed. That it actually might just be too good for, at what it does. Uh, so I think that all three of them are too good for standard. So like there was a time in like when Theros was being spoiled that I thought that that would be a perfect spot for um, Belful Strix. Um, not only just because I thought it would be a cool card in standard, but like the mechanical owl also fits like the 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 Greek mythology aspect of it. Um, and they didn't put it there. So I'm not sure where else it would fit in thematically, but I, it's just it's too it's too good of a rate. Like that card would have to be three or four mana right now with the, the current way they're designing cards. Yeah, and there there will be a time where Chain Roller rotates out, so you don't want to leave all these cards crazy. And then if for whatever reason red is not viable, you just have all these crazy cards running around. So just having a single card keep these otherwise crazy powerful cards in check uh seems seems a little fragile uh sebastian tans seth richard do you think cabal therapy is too good to be put in standard and modern i think it's combo with probe would have to would have been too good but probe is banned what are your thoughts i think that 
in standard, it might actually be okay, but I think that it would probably be too good in modern. Like, Dredge is a thing, Young Pyromancer is a thing, Mardu Pyromancer is already pretty good, so I think it might be too good in modern. I don't know. I, I don't think that it would. I don't think that it would be too good in modern. Um, I also don't think that it would be too good in standard. But it also is just like one of those cards that is kind of slip, just like a slippery card. Like it can create a lot of feel bad moments on like when you whiff or when you hit. Um, plus, like that means that flashback would have to come back, and I'm not sure how they would how they would implement that. Like I think, I think flashback as a mechanic is too good. Um, well, not too good. It's just like very good, and I don't think that cabal therapy is something that they would want to put in a standard set. Yeah, I think therapy is too good for standard. At most, we have you know, if standard is very diverse, you might have two three sets or two three decks or two to four decks. If it's not diverse, you might have one to two decks. And as soon as you see them play a land, you can probably name. Uh, a good hit for Cabal Therapy, which I think would be too devastating. The minute you see Irrigated Farmland, you're like, Fumigate, Settle the Wreckage, Teferi, and the game is probably over. So I, I don't I don't think that's safe for standard. Modern, I'm not sure, but I would definitely be jamming four therapies if they were standard legal. I could, I could see a therapy variant. Without the flashback, maybe? Yeah, just yeah. like some type of card that allows you to like name something and, and grab all, all the copies in their hand. That would be that would or be just fun. Like a, fixed therapy. Yeah, it could just be like a two blue black. Look at target opponent's hand and then name a card, and they discard all copies of the name card or whatever. Just like some type of fixed card that does that type of. Effect. I was gonna say if it was literally just therapy without flashback, that would be a pretty horrible card. I think I would still play. <laughs> would you really? Just I don't like, know. I don't know. It's guess. it's a little questionable, but. I feel like, especially standard right now, there's just basically a couple of cards that always beat you so if you can name them like you're good to go like when i play i just got to name like fumigate or settle the wreckage and then the, the match is over so if i had that ability i think that would be pretty strong but like or is that how, how how about something like this right where you have like one or two mana it's therapy but it has kicker sacrificing a creature and if you kicked it you just do it again right away that would work. Or, like, yeah. therapy and the kicker lets you look at their hand. Like, name a card and take it from your opponent's hand. If you sack a creature, you get to look first and then choose. That could that yeah. could work. Yeah, I'm a big fan of these cards because there's always so much discussion and debate as to what you should have named. <laughs> like, when you're when you're doing it blind, it's, it's actually very interesting. And some of the best legacy articles I like reading are... You know, what should you therapy given whatever land your opponent just played and, you know, this hand that you have. So it's, it's kind of like brainstorming. <laughs> so I've, I've been leveled by blind therapy so much in Legacy. There's been so many times where, like, I brainstorm in response to a turn one blind therapy and I just, like, still hit. Yeah. <laughs> I even had one where it was Enter the Infinite. <laughs> like, I was 100% sure my opponent would just, like, never name Enter the Infinite. So I kept two of them in my hand and hid the important cards. He just snapped off Enter the Infinite, and I lost because of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next question. Jope Crowley. Mr. Olive noting... With Mr. Olive noting about Popper Delver being everywhere... Uh, with the coming popper events by Child Fireball and SEG, should Delver be banned to ensure a healthy popper meta? Well, when, when, when did you make these comments, Seth? <laughs> uh, I think on Twitter I talked about it after losing to it for like I don't know four out of five games in a popper league or All something. Right. Has your opinion changed given the top sixteen from the SEG popper classic? Uh, for paper, I think the answer is yes. I think on Magic Online, popper uh, Delver. I still feel like I play it three out of every five rounds of every Pauper League I play on Magic Online, but in paper, based on the results we got this weekend, it looks pretty healthy. All right. Uh, next question, Sebastian Tans. Which is the better Tinker target for casual play? Platinum Empyrean or Sphinx of the Steel Wind? Uh, jeez. Um... Probably Empyrean still, I guess. It maybe depends on your, your metagame, but probably Platinum Empyrean. I like Sphinx, because then it doesn't just like get shattered or some, some weird effect yeah, that's, like that. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I, I like Sphinx. It has like so many 
so many keywords on it. <laughs> yeah. And it, it has pro red. Doesn't get suit. shattered. Vandal. Well, I guess I guess it gets vandal blasted. It doesn't get. Um... Yeah, it doesn't get shattered or yeah. naturalized. Pro red and green. Uh, next question: The green Robbie, do you swear? The last podcast had all three of you use the word silly to describe Arena's finances and goals, which felt a little <laughs> out of place. So I'm assuming yes. How often do you have to restrain yourself when making content? And do you ever slip up? I slipped up once in a video <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> oh, I remember this. <laughs> I, 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 and I didn't even do it really out loud as part of the game but I like moto froze up and I said something under my breath but the mic picked it up so I didn't even realize it was in there until I woke up the next morning and had just like so many comments about me saying the f word but I actually don't swear that much in my private life either so it's not I don't feel like I have to restrain myself I'm just in the habit of not swearing that often I swear too often (laughs) So, like, I have to rein it in when I'm doing content. Uh, my early live streams were very bad. <laughs> but I, I did I did get better. I have gotten better. Oh, you got to um, dig this up. I, I haven't seen this side. Yeah. I'm, like, I don't know, a normal <laughs> swearer. I, I swear sometimes, but I'm not – I don't swear nonstop or, you know uh, – I, I, we usually try to keep it family friendly on all of our content, so we don't swear in our content. But even in real life, I, I'm probably not going to swear that much if you actually meet me. Oh yeah, I'm not going to swear to strangers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like oh, good to meet you, Chris. Well, blank you. <laughs> yeah, how how the f are you? <laughs> Alright, Faradin42, I've been looking to get into Vintage, but I don't have endless money. As a solution, I've been playing X-Mage as a free way to play decks and test options without paying a ton. So suggestions for getting into Vintage? Uh, as, as far as decks to play, or like actually the financial aspect of it? Maybe the fi- like, is there actually a deck that's in the I guess like Fish or something, but... Maybe how to get into vintage, like, period. I don't know if there's a good way. Like, because the decks that are budget-friendly are, like, $5,000 instead of $25,000. Although, the one exception, and the deck hasn't been doing super well right now, but for a time, people would be able to play Eldrazi decks, very similar to what you see in uh, in Legacy. There was a no-power Eldrazi deck that, like, a year ago that... Uh, ended up finishing really highly at a tournament. So that's one option. Just like play Eldrazi and without power and hope for the best. Otherwise, I guess just start saving your money. The Because everything, essentially everything plays power. And even the cheap decks are very expensive compared to other formats. Yeah, I mean, Vintage is just super expensive. Um, and there are some decks that like you can play, but it's it's kind of like going to... You know, a sword fight with a nerf sword. So <laughs> there is going to be some level of feel bad that you're going to run into, um, but like, if that's what you want to do, then you certainly can. Uh, decks that don't use power um, are, you know, generally some type of no rod hate bear style deck. So the first investment I would suggest is to buy no rods if you wanted to play no power vintage. Yeah, I would say play Magic Online where your vintage decks kind of cost the same as your modern decks. Uh, I'm actually looking at Vintage Dredge. It's apparently 150 tickets. It's really cheap. Uh, so I would play online. I wouldn't play paper if you have to worry about finances. Uh, if you're the kind of person that can just throw money around without caring, then okay, vintage is probably fine for you. But if you you know you need to save and it, it's like a struggle, like I wouldn't even bother. It's It's just so much work. And I don't think your intent of playing vintage is to play underpowered decks when people want to play vintage they want to play black lotus they want to play mox they want to play other power and you can do that on magic online so i would go the magic online route uh next question tidal wave 87 do you know if modern burn has ever taken down a large tournament i've heard modern is all about knowing your deck and playing it well but i haven't seen anyone own burn like other decks uh it has not recently but i'm pretty sure that there have been big tournaments in the past that burn has won yeah brandon burton won ah that very good that was what like a year ago maybe yeah and i want to say that there was a burn deck in like one of the modern pt top eights before they took it off the the as a format took it away yeah i i would play burn I, i know a lot of players don't like burn because they think it's not hard 
but actually play Burn against other people, and it is extremely difficult to play that deck correctly. Because when you play against Burn, you just die. You're like, wow, you know, that good, good you know, lucky draw, good skill. When you play Burn, like, you, nothing gets accomplished and everyone just crushes you. That's how I feel every time I play Burn. So it just shows how hard that deck is to play. When you should be killing creatures and when you should be going face is actually a very difficult uh, thing to figure out. Uh, USA Forever 7, how do you feel about people playing cards in different languages in Paper Magic? Uh, I think it's fine. Like, I think if you want to do that to kind of, like, bling out your deck or whatever, yeah. I mean, just, if your opponent does it, just feel like you can call a judge and get the oracle text. Yeah, just don't be afraid to call a judge and get an oracle text. I know there have been people in the past that would intentionally play non-English cards, um, especially if they're cards that don't see common play to try and get over on their opponent. Um, so if you aren't sure about something, 100% always call a judge and get the oracle text. You can ask your opponent, um, but I, they do. your opponents never have your best interest in mind, so just always call a judge if you have a question. Yeah, I think part of, part of the appeal of Magic is it's an international game and we have a worldwide community. So it's actually cool that if someone's visiting from japan or france or something and they whip out their magic deck that's all foreign cards that's actually pretty cool so i think we shouldn't ban that or anything like that although you know some people will try to use foreign cards as a you know distraction or something to gain an advantage but uh like chris and seth said you can always call a judge and they'll pull up the oracle text for you and those instances are like few and yeah. far between like it's more so just like oh man i've watched a lot of anime and i love naruto and i want to get a bunch of japanese cards so I have a bunch of Japanese cards. I mean, that's that's why I have a bunch of Japanese cards. Um, but yeah, it's 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 just a, a cool way to kind of express yourself and what you think is cool. All right, that's all our fish mail this week. Thank you to everyone who sent them in. If you have questions, send them to at mtggoldfish with the hashtag mtgfishmail. And I think that brings us to the end of episode 176 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard, Chris, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. We will be back next week from GP Vegas, actually. We'll be out in Vegas when we're recording the next one. So, we'll see you then. Uh, This is the crew signing out. 